Well, maybe, is this on? Yeah, that maybe this is on, and it is, yes. All right. Maybe you are one of the over 10 million people who have watched a video on YouTube of a crazy wedding proposal. There's a man named Josh. He's on a rooftop, and he's surrounded by a group of his friends, and one of those friends is his girlfriend of a few years. While he's at that party, he stands up on the edge of the roof. It's probably three to four stories off the ground, and he reminds the group that he and his girlfriend have been together for quite some time now, and he says, I think it's about time that I ask her a very important question. Of course, we know what the expectation is. Everybody there knows what to expect if somebody stands up on the roof and says that. Of course, she thinks she knows what's coming. Her expectation is that in a few minutes, she's going to be engaged. But then, the unexpected happens. Josh asks his friend to throw him the ring, and his friend throws him the ring, and it goes over his head, and Josh leans back trying to catch it, and in the process, falls backward off the roof. As you can imagine, his girlfriend gasps in horror, assuming her almost fiancé has just fallen to his death. But the reality is that as she runs to the edge of the roof, she looks and finds Josh there on the bottom, who has landed on a perfectly placed mat surrounded by the words, Will you marry me? Kind of a joke. Kind of maybe not funny if you're that girl, right? Or maybe kind of funny a little while. But, but it was a hoax. Josh wasn't really dead. That was good news, of course, right? That's good news to Brooke. Her horror was real for that moment, but it was unfounded horror because Josh didn't really die. And then Brooke, of course, responds to the good news by saying, yes, receives the ring, and now she is engaged. It's a good story and a true story. You can watch it on YouTube and everything you see on the Internet's true. But I have a better true story uh, to share with you today. As a church family, we have been on this journey through the Gospel of Mark. It's been a long journey, a marathon journey. We've gone through about 650 verses so far, and today... Uh, especially if you're a guest and visitor here, it's kind of like you're just showing up for the end of the race. Like you're here for the last 16 verses when we've already gone over 650. And so I, I've, I've been a runner before, and so that sometimes happens when you're in a race. Like you'll run like an entire race, like a marathon, and then at the end, some people that haven't run the whole race just kind of show up and they run with you for the last little bit, and they're excited. And it's exciting to be a part of that part of the race, but not as exciting if you haven't been through the whole thing leading up to it. And so before we cross the finish line of Mark's gospel today, I just want to catch you up. And, and for those of you that have been with us through this whole journey, many of you took the challenge this week to read through the entire gospel of Mark to prepare for today. So you're going to be remembering some of these things that I bring up. But I want to just tell you this story which is also a true story and a much better story than even the one of Josh's proposal. It's the gospel story in the gospel of Mark. And there's an expectation there, too. In Mark 1 to 14, the expectations just seem to grow and grow as we're introduced to Jesus. We're introduced to Jesus, and, and, and Mark's aim seems to be, we've said all throughout this series, that Mark's aim seems to be that by reading this gospel, we would know Jesus' true identity, and that we would trust in his complete authority 
and that we would follow him immediately. And so there at the beginning of Mark, for the opening chapters, we see Jesus displaying his authority over and over and over again. Maybe if you read through Mark again this week, you were in awe once again. Hopefully you were in awe once again at who Jesus is and all that he has done. We saw that he certainly was one with great authority. We saw many people being healed by Jesus. We saw Jesus as he walked on water, and we saw Jesus as he calmed the stormy seas with just a word. We saw Jesus teach with authority, cast demons out of many. We saw Jesus raise a little dead girl to life. We've seen Jesus' great authority. And some have responded by trusting in his complete authority, right? Some have have responded by trusting him. Some have given up everything to follow him for three years. Others have felt threatened by him. Others are just kind of enthralled by him, but that's about it. As we read through Mark, we see that Mark often tells us how the crowd is responding to Jesus. And he often uses words like, they marveled at him. They were amazed by him. They were astonished as he did all of these things that he did. As they started to understand, and especially by chapter 8, at least one gets it, that Jesus is the Messiah. But then, something that is unexpected takes place. The expectations were high for Jesus, their Messiah, but then the unexpected takes place. We read read about it in Mark chapter 15. Now, it shouldn't have been unexpected because Jesus had told them over and over again that this was going to happen. But when the events of Mark 15 take place, they're not ready for it. They don't want to believe it. They can't understand it. They're afraid. And so many of these who have been faithful followers of Jesus, when it comes to chapter 15 and they see Jesus being threatened, they turn away and they flee. The tide quickly turns against Jesus, and they don't want to be caught up in it, and so they leave. Then the unexpected happens. Jesus, the Messiah, is put to death on a cross. Jesus, the innocent one, is executed as a criminal. Jesus, the innocent one, was taunted by the guilty. And on the cross, Jesus experienced a horror that none of us could imagine. He was forsaken by his Father as he bore the weight of our sin and bore the the, the weight of the Father's wrath, taking our punishment on Himself. That's what we've been looking at for the last few weeks. So the reality then is this. At the end of Mark 15, in verse 37, we went over this last week. Mark 15, 37 says very simply, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed His last. The reality is that Jesus died. This was not a hoax. In reality, Jesus did actually die. Their hopes for a Messiah that would liberate them from Roman rule were shattered as Jesus hung there on the cross. But then we saw last week, we kind of started to get into a little bit of the good news last week because we read verses 38 and 39, the two verses right before the passage we're going to look at this morning. And we saw that there's good news that because Jesus died on the cross, He took took God's punishment for our sin on Himself and the curtain of the temple. There was this curtain in the temple that separated the holy God from unholy people. It was 60 feet high, 30 feet wide. And at the moment that Jesus was put to death on the cross, that curtain tore in two. Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that we could enjoy fellowship with the Father forever. 
And then in verse 39, we saw this unexpected person at an unexpected time realize that Jesus, be, be the first person in Mark's gospel to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. They finally got it right. This is who it was that died. Jesus is the Son of God. And it was a Roman centurion who got it, and he got it when Jesus was hung on a cross right after he died. And you wonder, well, that doesn't sound like very good news. I mean, I get, I get a couple of parts that, that are really good news, but that doesn't sound totally like good news. A dead Son of God doesn't seem like good news. So what's the good news? Well, the good news is what we get to today. This is a day that's all about the good news of what happens after Mark chapter 15, verse 39. Because in Mark chapter 16, there's a lot of good news. And it's good news about a resurrection. The Son of God had really died, but He's not dead anymore. And just like Brooke in that story had to respond to the good news by saying, yes, our challenge is as well. That this is not just good news that we just hear and don't do anything with. This is good news that we must respond to in some way. And so if you're able to, I ask that you would stand, and I'm going to read God's Word. I have a lot of things to say, and I'm trying to accurately communicate what it was that God was saying, but we know for sure that as I read this, that this is the Word of God. And so we read from Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. There were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But you go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone. For they were afraid. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, so thankful for your word. Thankful for the good news that is proclaimed in your word. And would you enable me now 
to accurately communicate what it is that your word is communicating to us. That we would hear the good news of Jesus. Whether we've heard this good news over and over again, whether it's good news that we believe, or in some cases whether it's good news that we're a little skeptical about, wondering why it's even good news. And so God, I pray that in all of us right now, you would soften our hearts so that as the word is preached, you would come and do the work that you need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated. So here we are. We're, we're finishing up the Gospel of Mark today. We're going to start in Mark chapter 15, verse 40. That's where I just read from. And we're going to see a number of claims. We're going to go through, we're going to be like, man, that was the longest introduction to a sermon I've ever heard. I think that was the longest introduction to a sermon I've ever given. Uh, but... The body of the sermon will be shorter. Um, So, here we go. Ready? Claim number one. Claim number one is this. Jesus really died. Okay? That That is the clear claim that we get when we read Scripture. The claim is this. Jesus really died. We saw that in verse 37. Jesus breathed His last. And you might say, well, prove it. Okay, Mark, if you're going to make a claim like that, you better back that up. I mean, you could have just made this up. Maybe this was just a hoax, like Josh falling off the roof. Maybe this was just a big practical joke. Maybe Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Did he really die? And Mark says, I'll give you some proof. And so he comes up with some eyewitnesses. But they're unexpected witnesses that Mark comes up with. I read about it in verse 41. Read that again. It says, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So I say that these are unexpected witnesses. Witnesses, eyewitnesses are good evidence to back up a claim, right? But these are unexpected witnesses because of a couple of reasons. One, we would have expected that the disciples of Jesus, the the 12 men who had followed him, would have been there and would have witnessed this, but they weren't. They had fled. So it's unexpected that these are the ones that stuck with Jesus, but it's more unexpected that it's women. Not as unexpected in our day, but in that day, when, when the Jewish people would not accept as true or valid the testimony of women, it seems very strange that when Mark is looking for proof for this claim that he's sharing that Jesus really died, his proof is eyewitnesses who are women, whose testimony would not have been accepted by the people that he was talking to. And so, what should we think of that? Well, I think certainly if the death of Jesus was a hoax, was something that Mark and some others were conspiring to try and make up, they would have done something a little differently than this. The only real answer for why would he he point to these women as eyewitnesses of the death of Jesus is because it really happened. Because the other men had fled and it was these women who had stuck with Jesus watching from a distance as he was put to death on the cross. They saw him die. It really happened. But there's more that we wouldn't expect in these first verses. Maybe... Maybe, again, you could just read over these very quickly. And I've done that, I think, really until I started studying it for this week. I've read these passages many times in my life and, and missed this. Who is this Joseph guy that shows up? 
an unexpected disciple. Verses 42 and 43 tell us of this man. It says, when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, so this is Friday night, just before sundown, their Sabbath started on Friday evening at sundown and went until Saturday evening at sundown. And so, so the, the day of preparation is Friday, the day before the Sabbath. Verse 43 then says this, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council. I, had never, I don't know why I hadn't noticed this before. I hadn't noticed this before, that Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the council of the Sanhedrin, those who earlier that day had all agreed that Jesus ought to be condemned to death. Unless we think that, that anybody is too far off, that anybody is unreachable, that you've, you've kind of gone too far away from God, that you, like, listen, this was one of the men who at that moment... I don't know when this happened, if this had happened earlier on, but, but either way, he had been quiet about his seeking Jesus. It says here that he was looking himself for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And so, so he had been looking, he had been waiting, he had, he, had, he had heard some things, and he was believing that Jesus really was who he says he was. And now this man who up to this point seems to have been a secret disciple, takes a very bold and courageous step. And he asks for the body of Jesus, that he might go and bury it in a tomb. So we see some unexpected witnesses, an unexpected disciple. And then the, re- the claim is repeated in verses 44 and 45. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. So he summons the centurion. The centurion comes, says, yes, he is dead. And so... Pilate grants the corpse of Jesus to Joseph to be buried in a tomb. The reality is that Jesus really died. That's the claim that Scripture makes with some evidence to back it up. Jesus not only really died, Jesus was really buried. We see that in verses 46 and 47. Jesus was really buried. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock, And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And again, this testimony, this claim that Jesus was really buried is backed up by eyewitnesses. Verse 47, again, Mark names them. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So Jesus claims so far that Jesus really lived, Jesus really died, Jesus was really buried. But praise be to God that Mark doesn't end with Mark chapter 15, verse 47. We have Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And so let's close by looking at that. Mark 16, 1 through 8. Here's the third claim that we have. The third claim that we have is that Jesus' body wasn't there anymore because he rose from the dead. Verse 1 tells us that these women, again, naming them. Now, this is the third time that Mark has named these women. And and if you've been with us on this journey through the Gospel of Mark, you might remember that Mark doesn't often name people. He goes through things really quick. But here he names these women for the third time, I think trying to point out, like, listen, these are eyewitnesses. If you want to, here's who they are. Go talk to them. If you don't believe all this, you can go ask them. They were there. 
So he gives us their names again, and they were going to anoint Jesus' body. They had bought some spices. This would normally be done before burial, but Jesus had to be buried before the Sabbath began, and so they did that all. Joseph had done that pretty hurriedly. And so, so they wanted to do it properly. So they were going to go back now. The Sabbath was over. It was Sunday morning, very early. And they went to the tomb in order to anoint Jesus with the burial spices. That's what we see in verses 1 through 3. And they're thinking very practically. There's some women going to a tomb. They had seen that large stone rolled in front of the tomb. And so as they're approaching, they're wondering, how are we going to get that thing moved? Right? Should have brought a dude with us. Uh, but they, they didn't know how they were going to get it moved. So they're talking about that in verse 3. It says, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But they didn't have to because verse 4 says this. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Just, he just kind of puts it in like, by the way, remember, it was big, Right? This big stone had already been moved for them. Now, now, of course, at this point, if you're them, you're scratching your head like, what's going on here? This is not what's supposed to happen. And then verse 5 tells us this. This isn't supposed to happen either. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And we can say, I would have been too. Right? They're coming to anoint the dead body of Jesus, the one that they had served and ministered to for all this time. And they come, and instead, the tomb is open, and it's empty, except for this angel sitting there who alarms them. And he alarms them with the proclamation of the gospel. We hear the good news proclaimed by this messenger, by this angel, here in Mark 16, verse 6. In Mark 16, verse 6, it says, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. That is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ of Nazareth was crucified, but he has risen. He's not here. He says, Look at the spot where his body was. It's not there. This is good news. And again, we're going to see that we have some witnesses to this good news. And again, they're unexpected. Or maybe they shouldn't be unexpected to us anymore, but they would have been to these people. Because in verses 7 to 8, we see that these women are the ones who see it. He says, Go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So they hear this good news, this incredible good news, that Jesus, who really was crucified, who really was buried in that tomb, see the spot where he lay? He's not there anymore, because he really did rise from the dead. And the the message from the messenger is, go and tell the other disciples this news. And their immediate response to the good news of the resurrection of Jesus is... Right? They didn't know what to do. Mark uses all sorts of words in verse 8. That sounded like I burped. I didn't burp. That was like a... Uh, um, and they went out and fled. That, that's not in my script, that, that sound. Um, it says they went out and they fled from the tomb. So, so they don't just kind of walk out calmly. They flee from the tomb for trembling 
and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Okay? That's their, that's their immediate response. And this, I mean, you see maybe, uh, and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks, there, there's some other verses in Mark um, that weren't in the earliest manuscripts. It seems like somebody probably added those later. And so, so really, the, the Gospel of Mark ends here at verse 8. And it seems like a strange way to end. Although not that strange for Mark. He's so abrupt with everything. And so the ending of the Gospel of Mark is, there's women who heard the good news. They were supposed to go do something about it. They were trembling, seized, and afraid. And I think there's some comfort for me and as I read that and I recognize, listen, some of you over and over and over again have heard the good news of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And your response up to this point is, is not exactly what would be expected. We would expect him to say, this is good news. What do you want me to do? Go tell other people? I'll do it. And they run out. But that's not what they do. Their response initially is, it's like they weren't sure what to do about this. They, says they, did, they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They didn't know what to do with this good news of the Jesus who had really lived, who had really died, who was really buried, and now had really risen from the dead. We can read from the other Gospels that they eventually did go and share this news with other people. But at the end of the Gospel of Mark, we just have them kind of left hanging. They did nothing. And I think it's true that even today, even the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus, this good news that's being proclaimed all over, a lot of people come to church on Easter, they hear the good news, but, but they have no idea what that means for them. And so you might feel a lot like these ladies, like you're just, okay, that's news and I'm not sure what to do with it. Thankfully, Scripture is very clear about what we are to do with this good news about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to end by just looking at two verses. Two verses, one from the Gospel of John and one from Paul's letter to the Romans. First John, in John chapter 3, verse 36, because this is good news that must be responded to. So how ought we to respond to this good news? John chapter 3, verse 36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We talked about how Jesus died, and the purpose of Jesus' death was that he might bear our sins and bear the the Father's wrath, his punishment for our sins on himself. That's what Jesus came to do. To bear the Father's wrath for us. But John chapter 3 verse 36 says there's really two options. One is you believe in the Son. You have eternal life. And the other one is to disobey. To just keep doing what you're doing. To just keep living like you're living. Like you are the king of yourself. Not submitting to Him as Lord. And in that case you remain under the wrath of God. Romans 10.9 says it this way, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. See, it's good news that we respond to. We do something with this. So it says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus, or confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
So we're saying something. With, with what we say and with the way that we live, we are making this confession that, that this Jesus, who he is and what he does, matters to me so much to the, degree, to, the, to the degree that I'm willing to submit myself to him as my Lord. So do you confess with your mouth and live with your life that Jesus is your Lord? Is that a decision that you've made? And then secondly, do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? It's good news that Jesus was raised from the dead, but it's news that we must respond to. Do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? The result, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will no longer remain under God's wrath, but instead you will be given eternal life. Do you believe? Have you responded to this good news? Or is it good news that you just hear over and over again and you've never actually responded to it? Not responding is responding, right? Not responding to this good news because because faith is an active kind of thing. it's, It's a repenting, a turning from your sin and a trusting in Jesus. And if you're just kind of doing what you've always done and you've not done that, then you're, you've made a decision. You've responded by not responding. So here's what's clear. Should you make the decision to continue living as though you are your own king, your own Lord, disobeying God, remaining in your sin, the result is eternal punishment. That's our default, and that seems very hopeless. And if we're honest, a lot of times we do feel hopeless because we do look at stuff. We look at not just our sin, but the effects of our sin in our own lives. When we realize how, how, how messed up things are in our own marriage, how messed up things are in our own household, how messed up things are in our work. Like, it's just a mess. We wonder if there's any answer. Is there any hope? And the answer is, yeah, there's a lot of hope. Because Jesus really lived a perfectly sinless life pleased the Father in everything that He did. That Jesus really is the Messiah, and that Jesus really is the Son of God. We've seen that very clearly laid out in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and the Son of God. And He lived a perfectly sinless life. We have hope in that because Jesus, who lived that perfectly sinless life and pleased the Father in any way, took our place and our punishment on the cross. And and is willing, if we would, by His grace, turn to Him in faith, that that we would receive from Him that perfect spotless record so that the Father would look on us with favor as He looked on the Son with favor. Because He poured out His wrath for our sin on the Son instead of us. This is the good news. It's made possible by what we remember on Easter. The good news that that Jesus lives. And because He lives, we too can have the hope of eternal life. We too can have the hope that when when our life here on this earth ends, that, that it doesn't end with eternal punishment, but that it ends with eternal life. So, have you trusted in Jesus? Do you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? Do you follow Jesus as your Lord? Have you made that decision? This is good news that must be responded to. If today is the day in which you make that decision, then I would encourage you to confess it with your mouth. 
that, that, that that's a decision that you've made. That, that, that today, I get it. I, I get that this is news that I need to respond to. And I don't want to live any longer as though I'm king of myself. But I want to submit to Jesus as Lord. That's the decision that you make today. Confess that with your mouth to God in prayer and talk to another Christian about that. Talk to lots of other people about that. You want to hear about that? Talk to me about that. I'd love to hear that as a result of all that's happened here this morning, that God has welled up in you this desire to respond to the good news personally. That it's not just something that happened out there, but it's something that changes things in here. When you trust in Jesus, then you can join the rest of the church in proclaiming and celebrating the truth that Jesus is risen from the dead and He is alive and at work still today. We're going to end by singing a song just about the greatness of our God. Because as you think about what it was that He's done, the only proper response seems to be worship, to just proclaim out loud His greatness. And so the worship team is going to come up and get ready to lead us in that as I close in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We're, we're thankful again for the beauty of it, recognizing that, that the sunshine, uh, the ground thawing out and preparing itself uh, for the spring planting season, just the, the, the joy and the brightness that we see on the faces of those around us, all these are great gifts from you. But there is no greater gift than the gift you've given us of your Son, Jesus Christ, who really lived who really died, who was really buried, and who really rose again, and who your word says is seated at the right hand of, of your throne. And your word says that he's coming again, and we long for that. And until he comes, it will be our great privilege to proclaim loudly to the ends of the earth that we worship a great God, that many others would come also to know and to love and to worship this God who loved them enough to send His Son to live, to die, and to again raise Him from the dead. So thankful for all You've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.